As you're being seated, find your Bibles, open them up, turn them on with me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22 today, and then we're going to land in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. So one time, Jesus was asked, what is the most important thing that God wants us to do? And when he was asked this question, he didn't say, well, God wants you to be happy. He didn't say the most important thing is that you live well that you get a great education, that you do very, very well financially. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So Jesus says, love God and love people. Love your neighbors. You see, what you know about God becomes evident by how you love God and how your love is also extended to other people. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we often make when it comes to love is we we work with the assumption that we know what to do. So let's go, let's, go, let's go back, all the way back to the first few moments whenever you were born. For some of us, that's like way, way, way back. But first few moments whenever you were born, and what happens right off the bat? Usually, you're born, and your mother holds you in her arms, and she extends to you love. One of the American mantras is that we are born to love. Most of us when we were growing up as children, we had people in our lives that would tell us, I love you. In fact, many of us, every day, there were people that would share that they loved. They loved us. If you're a baby boomer or below, which means if you were born 1946 or later, chances are that as you were growing up, you were told you're special. You're loved. You have a special place in this world. And so over the last 50 years, the movies that we watch, basically they have one real plot. If you really think about it, there's really one one plot. There's a real life conflict of some sort, and then there's a love story that goes along the side. And so the real life conflict unfolds while the love story is unfolding, and at the end of the movie, when the dust, dust settles, love wins. And so within our culture, this idea of love winning, and, and we kind of figure it out as we traverse through life, that becomes a, a major theme with which we grow up. So then we grow into adults, and when it comes to loving one another, we assume that we, we know what to do because we have Netflix and we have the Hallmark Channel. So because of that, we, we kind of know what to do. So here's how our normal thought progression goes. We start with, I I need to love myself and have a good self-esteem. And if I learn to love myself and have a good self-esteem, then I'll be able to love others. And for many of us, that third step of loving God, it's something that we really haven't thought about a whole lot. I mean, have you really thought about, do you love God? Have you thought about your love for God lately? 
So often it's an afterthought or it's something that comes after I've loved myself and then I love other people and then, and then I'll, I'll love God. And, and that becomes our progression. But if you look around within our society, we have a very high divorce rate and we have a very low happy family rate. And so we talk a lot about love. It, it's, it's, it's a major theme of our society, but if love is something with which we are born, then why, why do we seem to struggle with it so much? Why do we seem to struggle with it so much? Now, I'll, I'll give you this reason. I think that one of the main reasons we struggle with love is because we are born with a, a sin nature. And that sin nature works against our love nature. You see, the sin nature is selfish. It's me first. But a love nature is giving. It thinks of what's best for another person. Sin nature is impatient. It wants everything right now. Our love nature is patient. The sin nature is angry. The love nature is kind. The sin nature envies. It it wants things that don't belong to it. But the love nature is content. The sin nature is proud. Hey, hey, look at me. The, the love nature is humble. The sin nature keeps a scoreboard. There's always this scoreboard of you did this, you didn't do this. There's a scoreboard of rights and wrongs. The sin nature is all about my rights, but your love nature is willing to lay down your rights for the good of another person. So catch this. Here's where the love story of Christianity differs from the love stories of Netflix. Are you with me? Christians believe the key to loving others well is to love God first. That's why Jesus said, the first commandment is this, you love God with the totality of your being, and then the second commandment is that you love your neighbor. You see, if we, if we, love, if we think, okay, I, I know what to do when it comes to love, and so I'm just going to love my neighbor, we may love our neighbor poorly. But whenever we love God first, then we know how to love our neighbors. Now, here's, here's the good news. God calls us to love one another, but He first loved you. And He also teaches you how to love. Now, this is really important because some of us grew up in families where we may not have had a great example of what a loving father looks like. But you have a loving Heavenly Father who loves you and He models for you what love is supposed to look like. Let me share with you a couple of verses about God's love. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus didn't say, all right, once you clean up your junk, then I'll go to the cross for you. Okay, I'm going to wait until you get everything just perfect. And once everything's right, then, then I'll extend my love to you. No, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love in this, that Christ died for us. How about 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19? We love, okay, so we're able to love one another. Why? Because He first loved us. His love for us 
is what truly enables us to love one another well. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother he has seen cannot love the God he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother. You see, when we love God, it changes the way that we love one another. Because whenever you love God, He transforms your sin nature into a love nature. He changes the heart of stone into a soft heart of love. Our love for God allows us to love one another well. Without that love for God, we may have demonstrations of love, but it's going to be a poor demonstration. And so we may... Okay, so we'll, we'll say to each other, well, I love you. Maybe we'll give one another those little candy hearts on Valentine's Day that have the little messages on them and taste like chalk. You know, it's amazing all the technology we have in this world today, and we can't get better Valentine's Day candy than those candy chalk. Those chalk hearts, you know? But anyway, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give cards. We'll sing romantic songs. We'll share some laughs. Maybe, maybe we'll smell the roses. But if we are loving one another without first loving God, our love will always fail. A love that never fails is anchored in a God that never fails. So Jesus says, all right, let me, let me teach you about the law of love. You love God and you love your neighbor. You love God with the totality of your being. You get that part right and you're on your way to living the life that God created you to live. Turn with me to John chapter 13. The scene in John chapter 13 is the upper room. Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' feet. He is about to institute the Lord's Supper. It is about to be revealed that Judas is betraying the Lord. And so he is talking to the disciples, and he begins to really share his heart. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I give you a new command. I'm in verse 34. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Have you ever thought about loving one another as a spiritual discipline? That for you to grow spiritually, you have to learn to love one another. Now, when we think about spiritual disciplines, we think about, okay, well, I need to read my Bible, I need to pray, I need to attend worship, I need to live my life for God's glory rather than my own. I need to give my offering. I need to give my tithes. Okay, these are, these are spiritual disciplines. But, but to grow spiritually, I, I must also learn to love others. Growing Christians are loving Christians. They love God and they love others. And Jesus says, I'm giving you a command. So make sure you catch that because Jesus is not saying this is a suggestion. Uh, if you think it's a good idea, hey, you know, just, a, just something for you to ponder. Uh, maybe, maybe we should love one another. No, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command that we should love one another. 
We have to do it. It's a spiritual discipline. And because it's a spiritual discipline, it takes work. You know, loving one another takes work. You know why? Because sometimes we're unlovable. <laughs> Anybody in here ever unlovable? Yeah, I'm, I'm unlovable sometimes. Don't tell Stacy, but sometimes I'm unlovable. Yeah, yeah. We're all unlovable sometimes. I, I remember one time when the, when the girls were young, we, uh, back when life was easy, uh, we, uh, we went on a trip and we stayed in a hotel and uh, it was the next morning we were loading up the car and I've, I've got the girls in the elevator with me and, and one of them, she was a toddler and we're in the elevator and she just starts having a total, complete toddler meltdown. You ever been there before? I mean, she is red-faced, screaming, lying down in the elevator. You can hear, it feels like the whole hotel is coming out of their door, out of their rooms to hear this toddler. And finally, we land in the lobby, the doors open, and there's like 10 people in business attire just looking at me. My daughter laying in the ground, screaming, their eyes are like this, and I, I look at them, they look at me, and I'm like, she's okay. She's just two. (laughs) And so I pick her up, and we take on through the lobby pretty quickly. One of the ladies in the lobby actually went, you go, Dad. That's right. You know, she's just two. Uh, She was just having having a a tantrum. You say, well, what do you do whenever you have a small child that that throws a tantrum? Well, you don't say, well, you're throwing a tantrum. I think it's about time you move out. You're out of here. You know, I'm done with you. You you threw a tantrum. No, you, you apply the tantrum principle. You, you keep teaching. You keep teaching, okay, this is how we act. This is how we don't act. You, you keep praying. You keep loving. You keep loving them. And you pray that they will grow out of it. Just please, one day, just, just grow out of it. And, and sometimes the tantrum principle applies to grown-ups as well. Sometimes we get a little unlovable. Sometimes we, we do things we, we shouldn't. So, so what, what do we do? Well, you have to apply the tantrum principle. You keep teaching. This is how we act. This is how we don't act. Sometimes you have to pray, Lord, please, may they grow out of it by the time they turn 50. Or will you please just come back soon so it'll all be over, you know? But we have to pray and we have to teach. And Jesus commands us to love one another even, even when it's hard. But now notice, he gives us the command, but he also gives us the example. You love one another as I have loved you. You see, if I share my love with you, I will fail you. But if I share God's love with you, then I love you with a love that never fails. The reason loving one another is a new commandment is because it requires a new beginning. You can't love others as Jesus loved without first knowing the Jesus who loved you when you were unlovable. So let's think, how how did Jesus love? Well, we see in Jesus' life that he called 12 guys to be his disciples. They became his inner circle, and he poured his life into those 12 disciples. He loved them and, and lived with them and cared about them, yet at the same time, Jesus never contained his love to a holy huddle. He didn't just love those that were in his clique. Instead, Jesus reached out 
He reached out to the lost and the lonely. He reached out to the disillusioned and brought authenticity. He reached out to the spiritually blind and brought sight. He brought health to the ill, and he brought truth to the seeker. And in his death, Jesus opened his arms of love to all people so that all might be saved through his death and resurrection. As the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's room at the cross for everyone because Jesus' love was broad. And Jesus says, let me be your example. You love other people as I have loved you. And then finally notice in this passage that people will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We end this series with loving one another because loving one another is the end result of spiritual discipline. When you're abiding in God's Word, when you're a person of prayer, when you're a person of worship, when you're living life with simplicity, when you're living life generously, when you are growing in Christ, one of the end results of that is that you will love one another. And he says, people will know that you're my disciples by, by your love for one another. He didn't say that people will know you're my disciple by your Bible knowledge. Although I, I think Bible knowledge is incredibly important. He didn't say that people will know you're my disciples because you teach a life group, because you serve on a team, because you're a deacon, because you survive taking kids to camp one time, because you helped out with a big event. That, that's not how people will know that you're my disciples. You see the end result of what we believe about God will be seen in how we treat one another. I think we need to remember Proverbs chapter 6. The Bible says that God literally hates it when one stirs up trouble among brothers. Proverbs 6 says, a, a, a worthless man, a wicked man, goes around speaking dishonestly, stirring up trouble. And the easiest way easiest way to kill a church, the easiest way to suck the air right out of a ministry is to reach a point where we trade love for selfishness, encouragement for criticism, teamwork for isolation, humility for pride. Our church's ministries will never outpace our love for one another. And we'll never be a perfect church. As long as Steve Baggett and I are here, we'll never be a perfect church, right, Steve? But we can be a loving church. We can be a church that encourages one another, that works together, that seeks God's glory not our own. That builds one another up rather than tearing each other down. And that cares about people beyond ourselves. We can be worshipers rather than consumers. People that love one another. Dr. Gray Allison was president, founder of Mid-America Seminary. I met him briefly whenever I was doing my doctoral work this week, Dr. Allison heard the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, because he stepped into glory and went to be with the Lord. The thing that struck me about him 
is that he's one of the most evangelistic men that I've ever met. He truly cared about people. And he would take time to share the gospel with people. He was a man of truth. He was a man that dug deeply into God's Word. He was not superficial or trite. He was a godly, spiritual man. But he also had a deep, deep love for people. And I remember one time he he told a story that whenever he was a teenager, he wrecked his father's car. And he was dreading having to tell his father that he had wrecked the the car. I mean, he was scared flat to death. And then his father got home, and he just knew his father was going to lose it. But whenever he told his father about the wreck, his dad's first response was very calm and loving. And he looked at Gray, and he said, Gray, are you okay? Are you okay? Gray said, yeah, I'm okay. And then his dad said, well, let's go look at the car. Let's go look at the car. And so they got out to the car and they were looking at it and they were talking about how they were going to have to, what they were going to have to do to fix it. And Gray looked at his dad and he said, Dad, aren't you, aren't you mad? Aren't you upset? And his dad said, yeah, I'm upset. But son, things don't really matter. People matter. Don't ever forget that. And so that was one of the most profound lessons that Gray ever received from his dad. And he took that lesson throughout his entire life. He was a man that stood for truth firmly. But he always did it with a heart of love. So there they were, reclining around the table in the upper room. In just a few moments, Jesus would be betrayed. He would be arrested. The next morning, he would be crucified out on that hill called Calvary. And by the time the sun set again, Jesus would be in the grave. And in that moment there in the upper room, he gives us a glimpse into his heart. What was in Jesus' heart during that time? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you will help us to have a deep, deep love for you. May you not be an afterthought but may you be the object of our love. And may we find in you a new heart that allows us to love our family, to love our neighbor, and to love one another as you loved us. Father, help us to love one another even when we're unlovable. Lord, help us to continue teaching that which is right to continue loving, even in the valley. And Father, may we always walk the journey together. I pray that we might have encouraging spirits that seek to 
lift each other up rather than tear each other down. And I pray, Father, that the ministries of our church might run in pace with the beauty of your love. So that when people see us, hear us, worship with us, they might experience the love of God. Lord, forgive us for those times where we've been angry. Forgive us for those times where we haven't been the people that we should be. Help us, Lord, to be your people, to love our Lord, and to love our neighbor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.